Welcome everyone to episode three, season one of the Superior Sales Disruption Podcast, which is brought to you by our media partner, Retail World, Australia's premier publication for the grocery and FMCG industry. As will be the case throughout, I am joined by my comrade, Mr. Mark Trulson from sunny Melbourne. How are you today, Mark? I'm great, Jamie. I'm really looking forward to an interview with Nick Nan with you uh, just later today. The fact that Nick has made you know great leaps from where we started off from Bonlac through to Pepsi to Frucor and then from DB Brewers to Stuart Alexander, all the while advancing his career is a lesson for us all. What are you going to be looking forward to? Mate, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to um, yeah. Nick's a pretty dynamic guy. Uh, he's been around the industry for a long time. I uh, crossed paths and sort of worked on a program with Nick when he was at PepsiCo, um, transitioning us to 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 work with Sweeps at the time. So look, uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing a bit of Nick's backstory and and some of the stuff of that you know certainly the listeners wouldn't know about Nick and 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 even probably some of the people in Stewarts might not know. So you know, look looking forward to hearing a bit more about Nick as a person as well. So Fantastic. So without further ado, Nick Nan. We'd love to welcome uh, Mr. Nick Nan. Thank you for having us this afternoon. And uh, uh, Nick is the current CEO of Stuart Alexander & Co. And uh, uh, welcome, Nick. Great. Thank you for having me. And, um, mate, uh, I, I've got Mark, uh, obviously, uh, in Melbourne, our uh, remote hero down in Melbourne. Uh, you've obviously, <laughs> unfortunately, got some bad bushfires down there at the moment, mate. Now we certainly do, but we're, I think we've got over the worst of it. So looking forward to today's interview, though. Fantastic. So, Mark, I'm going to throw to you to kick us off. Uh, and uh, again, thank you for having us today. And uh, yeah, look forward to everyone enjoying uh, today's podcast. So, uh, Nick, I'm not sure if you know, but Jamie and I love a good old story. So I, I think we want to start from the beginning. So just if you could give just our listeners just a quick snapshot of where you sort of grew up and you know, maybe where you went to school and, and sort of how you started. No problems at all. No problems. So firstly, thanks for having me. I think it's a fantastic initiative that you guys are doing. So um, look, from my perspective, based up here in Sydney now, but actually grew up down your way, down in Melbourne. So school and university uh, for many years down in, uh, in the uh, suburbs of Melbourne. So got a nice blend of uh, AFL and now rugby after being in Sydney for almost <laughs> years. So um, from, from that perspective. But look, for me... Um, I grew up in Melbourne, but actually had many opportunities to uh, travel overseas in between school and uni, and then between university and uh, and starting my career. So um, I think I did a count back the other day. I'm probably more time out of Melbourne than in Melbourne now. But I think from my perspective, um, you know, getting an opportunity to experience different things and uh, travel the world on you know the tourist dollar as well as the work um, opportunity is something that's been always very important for me. It's always good to do that. I, I, uh, in terms of university, what course did you do? I actually went to uh, Monash. Well, at that stage, I'm showing my era. It was called uh, it was called a different university, but uh, Monash Caulfield. I did a um, I did a Bachelor of Business there. But um, interesting, started doing arts. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, and then transitioned my way through uh, through the course and came out with a with a Bachelor of Business. Beautiful. I went to Monash too, but out at Clayton doing economics, which I've hardly done anything of that since. Ah, that's very true. As I, I say to many people in the industry, um, you know, a university degree is ultimately a great ticket in, but you'll, you'll learn most of what you need to learn whilst you're on the job. Absolutely. It uh, takes us back to where you learn, learn everything from the streets, mate, from the doing. And uh, your travels, where did you travel to, Nick? Where were your overseas travels? Actually, a couple of times. So when I first left school, I wasn't quite ready for university. So I went and worked in a boarding school in England as a 
fresh 18-year-old, um, fresh off the boat, and uh, country uh, England, about 100 miles southwest of London. Right. Tiny little town, literally had a, two pubs, a general store, and the school. So um, all stores got a good, uh, good look in, which was good. Um, but it was really a great opportunity looking after boarding house, helping out with uh, the rugby coach, the P staff and that sort of thing. So I did about six months there um, and then came back and started, uh, started university. And then equally when I finished university, I wasn't quite ready to go to work. So um, backpacked around the world. So mainly North America, Europe, and then landed in London with a, um, a cheap suit and a one-page CV and, um, and off I went. And in terms of those travels, just what's your hot spot, mate? If you were to recommend one spot to, to ever put on your bucket list, where would that be? Oh, look, I think uh, I followed the sun for about a year. So I'd say um, if you get yourself around the uh, Greek islands and Turkey, they'll, uh, <laughs> you won't go too far wrong. Fantastic. Absolutely. And, and so you, you got your uh, resume and your, and your suit on. And, and where'd, you, where'd you head to there? Where was the, the first knock on the door? Um, well, I actually worked um, for about six months in, I started in recruitment, which um, worked out very quickly, not what I wanted to do. But if you want to uh, do a hardcore sales job, try and work in temporary banking recruitment in London. So um, you'll get knocked back about 500 times a day. But um, you know, from my perspective, it's like with anything, you work out quickly, more quickly what you don't want to do than what you want to do. So um, worked for about six, 12 months and then landed back in Melbourne actually. And, um, and that's when I, I kicked off my consumer goods career. Okay. And where did that land you? Where'd you, where'd you start in the FMCG game? Well, at that stage, it was a very new company called Simplot. Um, so uh, Simplot had, was about, uh, about a year old. It just, uh, JR Simplot had come in and purchased the food arm off Pacific Dunlop. This is back in the, uh, Back in the mid nineties, yep. you look at me very strange. Like you know what I'm talking about. I, there, James. I do. So, so we use the term dinosaurs occasionally, me and Mark. So we're not going to put you in that boat. No, thank though, you. So, so um, look, Simplot was uh, it was actually an amazing time to be there. They just formed it was a brand new company. Pretty much most people there were new, so yep. they were going through quite an um, interesting time of developing. Not only what the company looks like, but what the culture should be, how they integrate uh, the US uh, culture versus an Australian agricultural business. Um, very large business as it, as it is today. But my first job was sitting in a customer service desk dealing with a rebuyer statewide in Tasmania. <laughs> and uh, exciting time though to start with a, a company in its new, in its infancy stage and a, a, where you are building all the core foundations for you know, the fabric of that business and the purpose and, and stuff. So uh, that would have been a good time. And where, and where did you, how long were you at Simplot for? I was at, at Simplot. It, was, um, it wasn't technically a, a great program, but it was similar to that where they did move you around quite quickly, which was, um, which was very advantageous for me. So I worked through um, customer service to a sales analyst to junior accounts and then out into the, into the field as well. Um, I then moved on to, so I was there about two and a half, three years and moved on to a business that used to be called Bonlac, which is now Fonterra, um, working on brands like Western Star Butter, Badella Cheese. And interestingly, at that stage, they had uh, Spring Valley and they launched the Gatorade brand into Australia for the first time. Okay. So um, let's go on, Mark. So uh, <laughs> I'm sure Jamie's having a bit of a chuckle too because we probably crossed paths at one time because uh, Jamie and I, where we met was uh, Spring Valley, which was uh, taken over by Bonlac. And, you know, one of the things we did from a national account point of view was, uh, you know, introduce Gatorade and also uh, Fruitcore into the market. So we must have crossed paths back then. Oh, we must have. It was a few years ago, so I'm sure we all look exactly the same. <laughs> 
And there were we certainly those are the days back where uh, da- um, David Knight, uh, yep. I'm not sure if you know yep. David. He was so running Gatorade with da- Rebecca. David's uh, absolutely with Rebecca, yep. Um, David's uh, a great supporter and he'll be listening to this podcast over in the States. He, uh, he's, he's, he's into his liquor game now over there and uh, um, he's an amazing guy and, and led Gatorade uh, in, you know, here in Australia for a number of years. And, and I think we even may have uh, crossed with Murray Richardson at the time. I'm not sure if... He came through the Bonlac or the Spring Valley uh, uh, era. Yeah, so Nick, we'll uh, we'll get onto some of you've had an extraordinary career. You know, as we've just said, you know, we're talking about Bonlac, but you've also gone through Pepsi and Frucor and uh, DB Breweries. Has it been like a, you know, Simon Sinek will often talk about that. You know, the way we go about our careers, you start with your own purpose. Is is there something within your purpose, your why, that has helped you progress in your career? Yeah, it's a really good question, actually, and I think it's a um, it's really pertinent to um, probably you know the audience and something you ask yourself. But uh, the way I'd respond to it is um, I would not have had an answer to that in my earlier points of my career. I think it's not something you really or I personally considered till later in my career. I think I was probably so focused on what my career was and where my next step was. You 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 probably lost touch a bit with the why you're doing it. Um, I'd say um, where that really starts coming into effect is probably not only when you get more senior in your career, but probably as your, your life changes a bit, you start um, having family, you start having a, a greater impact on those around you. And I think that's the time where you really start looking at the purpose of why you're doing it. I think to answer your question is the why for me always comes down to the growth and impact, hopefully in a positive way that you have on those around you whether it's your family, your friends, your colleagues, your peers, um, your customers, et cetera. I think that's the ultimate why. And if you're having a positive impact in helping people um, grow and grow in directions that they want to head, then, um, then you know, that, that, that's a good day that's been had. And is that the sort of the philosophy you've taken in sort of building and managing teams over the, over the years? Yeah, it has. And look, I'm the first to admit, probably the first time I was managing teams, I would have been very bad at it. Um, I think that's what, what a lot of people have to realise is it's, it's a skill. It's a skill you have to learn. And people say, oh, there's natural leaders and there are natural leaders out there. But leading a team is a skill that you have to constantly work on. Um, and I think if you reflect and think you're good at it when you first did it, then you're, <laughs> you're probably not reflecting very well. So um, it is a philosophy. And I think you've got to realise responsibility and impact you have on people's lives and careers um it is really important and i think the philosophy of um i often use the analogy of um use uh, tennis as a sport it's your job to set the boundaries but then let, let your guys and girls play as they want um and you, you know you're in the coach's box when you need them and you know where their skills are but don't tell them how to hit every ball well they've got to work that out themselves as long as they know where the boundaries are and you've got that ultimate accountability of you know winning or losing a point yeah that and that's true coaching really because you've got to allow people to be themselves uh, and then otherwise everyone becomes too robotic and you don't get the natural flair of, of what they bring to the table. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, absolutely. And, and Nick, is there any key turning points? So, you know, you, you, you look back at, uh, you know, you, you, um, 
when you've moved and, and you know some of the jobs that Mark mentioned, which we'll touch on shortly. So you're at PepsiCo. I think that's where our roads cross back in. I think so. Yeah, somewhere there, and uh, the pe- the PepsiCo and the Swept sort of uh, uh, engagements at the time. And um, you know, through that and and what took you to PepsiCo was a is there some forks in the road that you look back on that you go, I, you know, I'm glad I made that decision, or ones that you may look back on and say, hey, maybe I should have should have taken that one. Um, yeah. I think um, it's a couple of questions there. Firstly, you know, and a lot of people do say this, but I do live by it is, you know, I'll, I'll never regret a decision I make. I think it's something now, had to take you down a different path? Yes, it may well have, but you always have the opportunity to learn from all your good and not so good decisions um, would be the first point. In terms of forks in the road, I think, look, I've been really blessed and lucky to work for some pretty amazing organisations. Um, PepsiCo's of the world, you know, were and are and continue to be a very strong um, organisation. I think they are amazing at teaching people the technical skills of sales in, in, in my instance and you get a really fantastic grounding on, on what that means. And then when I moved across to Fruitcore, I took on the sales director role there and that was probably the first big aha moment for me um, where you actually have to work out pretty quickly that it's no longer about you. And I think that's probably the biggest turning point you'll make, especially within probably a sales career where you, you, know, you might be a pretty good salesperson, but all of a sudden you're managing good salespeople and it can no longer be about you. And I think that's, the, that's quite a big turning point. Um, and you do see people over their careers who are unable to make that transition um, or unwilling to make that transition, probably a better way to describe it. Yep. But um, that really was a big crossroad for me. And I was, I was very fortunate to work for... Um, a gentleman there, Jonathan Moss, who's now the group CEO, and he he was very strong on um, knowing who you are and understanding what your skills and where your development needs are. Because once you know what you need to do, you can then help others. Um, and that was a very powerful message for me, you know, in my journey at Fruitcore. Yeah, what sort of led you uh, from then Fruitcore to to going to DB? Something else that we share is that I, I work for a number of years at uh, CUB, so I think we've got a love of breweries or beer so what sort of led you to to go there from through call yeah i think for me i was uh four and a half almost five years as sales director at through and um one of the strengths of through was a really strong stable business and a really strong stable leadership team um which was a which was a huge plus for them and us working in the business at the time equally um you know i was i was keen to um, move beyond the sales director and I want to take the opportunity of working on more of a generalist role um, and the difficult roles. It's a sales directors out there. It's difficult to transition from a sales director to, to a, a generalist. Um, a, you've got to find a company who's willing to um, make, uh, make a risk or take a bet on you. Um, but then equally um, it is a different transition. So the opportunity arose um, for a general manager role. It's a larger business as part of Heineken, but it was a smaller local team. So it was a natural transition for me. So it really was, um, I wanted to, I guess, test myself to see if I could be something beyond a sales director. And that was the main motivation. Mr. Nick Nan, thank you again. Um, we are, uh, one of the things that did come up uh, and, and it's, it really is about the disruptive nature of, of business. Um, you know, I, I actually call out pretty much in our podcast that I, I think Coles and Woolies have become a, a very challenging beast that we all have to deal with, as a particularly as a manufacturer and a brand owner. Um, you know, what's your thoughts on disruption in the FMCG, and what's your what? How do you think that landscape looks for for the 
you know, the industry moving forward. Yeah, it's a really good question. I think you, you obviously mentioned the, the two large customers here in Australia, but um, thinking through um, in preparation for, for this chat, I think disruption, I'd actually also uh, add the word innovation. And I think the, the number one challenge for a lot of people as they get um, asked by their managers or their CEOs, I want you to be more disruptive or I want you to be more innovative. I think the greatest challenge is people say, well, how do I do that? Um, isn't that the job of the marketer or isn't that the job of the, the head of sales or, or the CEO? And I think the, what I would really encourage people is um, disruption or innovation doesn't have to be big. It can actually be something little that can actually then roll and form into something that does become disruptive. Um, and don't be daunted by the challenge. You can just do one thing slightly different tomorrow and you'd be amazed where that hits. And I think when you're dealing with a large customer base in Australia um, who are equally having to challenge themselves as the retail landscape changes considerably um, around them, they're also seeking partners and suppliers who can help them be disruptive so it doesn't have to be a one-way stream you can be disruptive together with a customer or a brand partner or a supplier and no, i definitely uh, it's it's one of the things i've always preached that you know everyone's looking for the big bang but uh, you've just got to get momentum and getting momentum is that is you know just doing that one thing and getting it done right and then everybody's pumped up and excited about you know going to the next phase so Nick, with that in mind, you know, can you recall a time where, you know, something may have started a bit small and then got the momentum and sort of snowballed into something big? Um, I think probably um, there's a couple of examples. The one I'd use would be at Frucor and Jamie and I were having a bit of a chat offline uh, after the break. And, you know, Frucor, you know, has always been a, uh, a disruptive um, supplier within the beverage space up against pretty big players. Um, and when we were there, it was always a challenge of um, if we act like our competitors, we will lose. They're bigger, they've got more money, they've got more people, um, they've got some pretty big, strong, impressive brands. So we, we actually have to turn up every day like a disruptor. Um, and we, we did that at the time with obviously the strength of V, energy drink, and probably the brand launch that resonates the, the strongest was um, when we launched uh, the Maximus sports drink. Um, and it was a true disruptor where you had Gatorade and Powerade, two you know, really strong brands hitting the same space of um, sports credentials. And um, Maximus came in, um, you know, basically completely counterintuitive that. It still offered call it the, uh, the, the armchair sportsman um, who was happy to drink it probably not after running 15 K probably doing something else. So, but it was good. It was fun. You know, we, um, we had a lot of fun with it and um, it's a few years ago since I've been involved in it now, but by all accounts, it continues to be a strong success. It definitely is. And, um, you know, one of the things that uh, stand out for me, Nick, when I, and one of the things I'm really enjoying about being able to meet and talk with uh, uh, industry leaders like yourself that have been in the game for, uh, for a little while. Um, you know, the mentors, I know I had uh, lucky enough to have a number of mentors uh, along the way. We might chat with one of those down the track. I'm not sure if you work with Richard Kaiser at all at the Snack Brands. I do know Richard. Um, game, but, uh, you know, uh, there are certainly mentors in both Mark and my career paths. And, you know, when you look back on yours, is there people that stand out that, uh, you know, that, that and, and what did they do? What you know? What did they do that made that much of a difference for you at that point in time? Yeah, I think it's a really good question because I often get asked by um, 
by uh, people in the team or, you know, I want to get myself a mentor. And I said, well, it's, <laughs> it's sort of like saying, I want to get myself a wife or a husband. <laughs> you, you, you don't just meet someone. Great, you're now my mentor. Um, you know, it takes time. It's and and mentors can be a, a formal relationship, but to be honest, I think it's these days it's more of an informal relationship. It's um, people don't walk in with mentor on their card. It's just something that you connect with people either directly in your career or even indirectly, which is more powerful, who um, you resonate with, and they offer you coaching and advice, and they can be. Um, they could be um, uh, a good person to, from a confident perspective as well. And I was always very fortunate. I had a number of really good people around me through my career versus a, this person is my mentor. And I think that's it's a really important thing to take note is you don't have to keep seeking for that one mentor. Yep. Something like Yoda from Star Wars, you know, there's, there's people around you who you can tap in and tap out with at certain times of your career. Um, which are which are really important depending on on what challenge you're facing. In terms of specific people over my years, um, you know, probably be unfair to mention some names and not other names. But I've you know I have been fortunate to be very you know, be surrounded by good people. And I think um, I would say that it's a nice blend of having sort of formal and informal. Um, I had a wonderful opportunity at Frucor with um, introduced to you know, coaching and, and really having that um, external um, leadership coach to to really help guide you through and really, really challenge you on who you are and what you do and how you say things and how you act. And I think we all get, um, as we get on our career, we get good at probably hiding how we react in certain situations. But the good challenge I always say is if you've got to understand how and why you're reacting, it'll help you grow. I think people who can help you do that, you very much consider as mentors. Looking at your career path, you've made lots of you know, positive leaps you know, from, you know, national account management to sales director to general management to CEO, you know, you know, have you had sort of mentors to help you make those leaps or is that something that's just naturally come your way? I'm going to say naturally came my way, but I don't want that to come across as an, as an arrogant thing because it's something which you, you know, a career is something you have to work on um, and, you know, you reflect on, where you end up and how, how you got here. But probably the number one advice I'd give people is don't rush your career. Um, you know, don't think you're there after six months and look for the next role. Career is not actually about titles. Um, and the sooner you can lose the titles and worry about the critical experience that you gain along, that's what's going to build your career. So it's sitting in a seat in a role when things are good and in that same seat when things are bad, that's what's going to help you along the way. So um, from my perspective, Really understanding that then helped me transition into into other into other roles. Um, I didn't have someone on the sidelines saying, "Hey, you should go for that," or "Now it's time to do it." Um, on reflection, it was probably a natural time to do it, but there isn't a set playbook in this. I think that's a, a second point I'd make: is there is no set playbook. You have to. Every career is different. Um, every opportunity that presents itself is different, and you have to look at that opportunity and its merits. But as long as it keeps adding to your career toolbox and keeps developing the skills that helps you grow that's the most important thing yeah it is indeed and uh, I mean the other thing that stands out for me it's it's actually quite ironic uh, Nick that that's the same advice that uh, two of our other speakers have given um, that not to rush their career to mm. to actually be prepared to sit tight 
invest in yourself and invest in your, in, in the company that you're with and and that the right opportunities will come and along that way and uh, um, sometimes it might not just be mentors it might even be just our partners in life uh, you know uh, our wives and, and 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 stuff that help you govern your way through you know it's not necessarily the career or the, the business people that are always those mentors either I think uh, you know sporting coaches and uh, um, yeah, family members, they all, all play a part in, in that process. So, um, you know, what, what advice, if you were looking back, um, you know, back on the journey and back when you've grabbed your suit and your, uh, and your, and your resume and, you know, uh, you know, 25 years of age, what, what would you say for younger people coming into the FMCG industry, coming into this quite a dynamic space and I think we've all got you know certainly there's some challenges being faced by a number of manufacturers uh, even just the fact that you know there's a lot of mergers and there's um, yeah what, what would you recommend if you were looking back uh, you know at, at to Nick at 25 uh, moving forward uh, in this space yeah I think um, I will make the point again of saying don't rush it um, I know we've just talked about that but definitely don't rush it and to continue to build on that um, it is really important, especially early in your career, to um, look and find the right um, company that you want to work for. It's probably similar. Uh, I think my dad gave me advice. It doesn't matter what course you do, just get into the university you want to go to. And then, you know, you'll, you'll find your way from there. And I think that's the look for a look for a business and a company that um, that you resonate with. Um, and you know, the term, terminology there is the right values that you match with and you know you should feel like a privilege that you're working for the business that you work for so once you find that match i call it that from there that's where you work your way around so the advice i've given myself would be um really make sure you join the right businesses and I, i've been you know very privileged i have over the years make sure that you know it's got to feel like a privilege that you work for those businesses because you spend a lot of time here um you know and a lot of, it takes a lot of uh, a lot of impact on yourself and and your family and probably the third point I'd make would be um, really get to know yourself earlier. I think um, we all think we know know ourselves and our styles and we, we think we're good at things, but really, really take the opportunity to challenge yourself and get to know yourself and challenge yourself to get better because um, often you're not good as you think you are. <laughs> I think as soon as you can work that out and actually work on that, that's uh, it's a really powerful. Well, I'm sorry for all the 25 to 35 year olds out there because uh, <laughs> I have I have a bit of a saying that unfortunately uh, you whippersnippers come out of uni with your degree and, and within six months think you should be managing directors and CEOs but unfortunately uh, it does take a bit of a while to get to there and a lot of experience come along that way. Yeah. Mark, uh, it resonates a bit of a story uh, for me, uh, mate, uh, uh, about your journey, about aligning yourself uh, um, with uh, a business that as first and foremost. You want to let Nick know about that one uh i'm i mean just in terms of um i think i remember when uh, i was younger just thinking i want to move into uh, a a great business and i sort of uh wrote down the top 10 businesses i wanted to work with and uh you know cb was the number one business that i put down being a melbourne boy and uh, luck had it or serendipity played its you know part that you know three weeks later CUB took over the business that I was working with at that time. So it gave me the opportunity to work for a company that I was really passionate about. So I think that's great advice for people. You talked about uh, the sort of emerging into a, being a CEO. Um, have you noticed that the role of the CEO has changed? Or So if you look back also when you were a sales director, 
Um, have you seen that the role of the CEO is different to when it was back then? And what advice would you give other leaders out there in the industry? Yeah, I think um, the answer to that would be absolutely. I think any whether any senior role, whether it's a sales director, marketing director, supply chain, etc., and CEO, um, the roles have changed and they continue to change. And I think the the strong leaders in the industry are those leaders that can um, massage and stay ahead of that change. I think the the day you stop challenging yourself to look for what's different or what can we do better or challenge ourselves in is the day you'll be left behind, um, uh, both from a leadership perspective and also if you're leading a business, um, your business will become behind. So I think it's really important um, from that side that you know the evolution is there. Um, you need to constantly um, look for whether it's emerging trends, uh, changing customer behaviour or trends. I mean, the, the evolution of the Amazons and Corflands, etc. of the world coming in. I mean, the businesses that don't try and adapt and find ways to do that, like Audi, you know, 10 plus years ago. Um, you have to find ways to, to adopt to the change and ideally be ahead of that change. I think the other point I'd make is the role of a CEO, especially... Um, where it has changed is people have to be absolutely front and foremost. And I think maybe 15, 20 years ago, sort of results dictated whether you're going to be successful or not. Don't get me wrong. Results are still <laughs> very, very important. <laughs> you won't get away with bad results too quickly, but the difference is the how you do it. And I think 20, 15, 20 years ago, it's what you did. The difference is now how you do it. And I think the behaviors you demonstrate, um, the leadership skills and the development of the, your teams around you is absolutely front and foremost now than it potentially was 15, 20 years ago. I mean, Stuart Alexander I mean, definitely has, has had such a long and rich history. Has that always been ingrained in that business or is that something that you've brought to the table? No, I think it's all, it, it absolutely has always been involved in our business. So we are 135 years old this year. So we've got a long history. We, we're, we're privately owned um, and you know, we've got this amazing um, evolution points in time where you know, we were a tobacco business 50 years ago um, and now we're confectionery food and beverage. So you think about the transition of how we've done that over the years and that's a constant challenge of uh, of the you know the, the, the owners and how they keep saying, well, where we want to go to, let's let's push ourselves. Um, m- myself stepping into the role of CEO about a year ago was um, you know, Gary, the chairman, saying, Nick, you know, we, we, it's up to you now to work out what's next. Um, and I think it's a wonderful challenge. It's probably the difference of working for a large multinational, which I thoroughly enjoyed, versus a private business is. Um, what we do and where we go is depends on everyone in the room. We don't rely on a head office in, you know, um, uh, country X, city Y. Um, it really is what we do is up to us, which can be you know, daunting but also incredibly exciting. So we've got a wonderful history of change and evolution and, you know, we're on that next journey now. Do you see how, um, obviously, the Stewart's business has changed uh, over the over the course of even the last 10 years with the tobacco having uh, come out of the portfolio that what do you see is for the brands moving forward for Stewart's as the ones that you think are going to continue to lead the way and into the future for the business moving forward? Yeah, we, um, we always pride ourselves on a pretty tight portfolio of brands. Um, we, 
we we pick each other brand partners pick us and we pick brand partners and i think that's very very important and where our success lies with our current brand partners is where we actually are aligned on values um and interestingly a lot of our brand partners are also family businesses um and it gives you an ability to actually work together on what that future looks like um we operate in some pretty large categories with confectionery um food and beverage um yeah and we're very privileged to to look after some pretty strong brands within those um within those um those those categories so um i guess it's like you're asking who's my favorite child jamie they're all favorites so um (laughs) (laughs) no but we are it's something which you know we do very much pride ourselves as i was I was looking at a contract the other day, which is a live contract as we speak today, and it's dated 1948. Wow. And there's not many businesses you can say wow. that that's sort of longevity. So, you know, that is something that we do pride ourselves on is we don't just, uh, when, you know, when we find a brand partner and the brand partner finds us, it is something we want to do for a long time. And uh, you just mentioned, uh, I'm not going to pick a favourite child, favourite children, but uh, uh, do you want to share with the listeners, you're out on the beach on the weekend, I got that out of you this morning, oh, yeah. so um, you're up at Newcastle um, with the uh, life-saving and the nippers, so uh, the kids are heavily involved in that? Well, they are, I think those people who know me um, over the years, with uh, something we're quite heavily involved in, um, myself personally with, with the kids, and Probably something I'm quite passionate about, and I think it's it's really important when you speak to people. Is um, you might think work's the most important thing in the world. It's actually not. Um, you know, the, those around you, whether it's family or friends, and how you can actually contribute back to your local community or your local clubs. I think is is so important. And for me, that's uh, that's uh, that's a life saving world, with especially the nippers. I think you know, water safety and teaching kids to be safe in water is uh, you know, incredibly important, and it's a hell of a lot of fun. So uh, yeah. You know, uh, just south of Newcastle there with about 2,500 people over the weekend. So um, I might be a little tired today after three long days on the beach, but uh, <laughs> no, incredibly looking, rewarding. You're looking sprightly, mate. And uh, and who's your local club? Who's the club you guys are with? Uh, so we're part of Bronte Surf Bronte? Club, which is okay. the uh, eastern suburbs of Sydney for those who are outside Sydney. Fantastic. And, uh, and Mark, uh, what other interests you reckon might be on uh, uh, Nick's, uh, Nick's list here? I mean, uh, what I'm, what I was interested in uh, is Nick. That Jamie and I often talk about, uh, you know, the learning curve that we go through in a career, um, and it seems like, you know, there are some people who get to a position and you know they they stagnate because they stay in that position for ten plus years and don't really disrupt themselves. You've been able to disrupt yourself along the way, uh, as we sort of said, you know, from sales director to general management to now CEO. You know, what are the things you're looking forward, you know, moving, you know, in the next, say, five years so you can disrupt yourself further and go to that next step? Yeah, it's a, um, the biggest challenge personally is you do have to constantly challenge yourself for that change. And change doesn't mean changing jobs or changing careers or changing companies. It's just um, something that I've always enjoyed is learning. And I think it's something you've got to constantly challenge yourself to learn, whether it's just thinking about something differently or taking on a big challenge. If you keep doing the same thing every day, you wouldn't, you will stagnate. And I think that's a, it's a really dangerous thing for people to do in their jobs or careers. And again, I'm not advocating people go and look for a new job every day. It's just how do you challenge yourself to add something different to your current role or add a new skill to yourself, whether it's read a different book or chat to a different person in the office. It can be as simple as simple as that. Um, for me personally, um, 
you know, thoroughly enjoying being part of the Stewie's family. And I think it's, uh, it's got such a wonderful, rich history and where we take the business for the next five years is, is, is the big challenge. And we're, we're on that journey already and we've just launched ourselves into the alcohol category. So um, we signed a, a new brand partner a couple of weeks ago. So that's our, that's our next evolution. So um, other than uh, uh, you know, enjoying a few, uh, a few gin and tonics along the way, I think, uh, I think we'll be okay. But I think it's the, it really is the challenge of you know, the next five years is just constantly challenging yourself not to be stagnant and really you know, looking for what that next challenge is. Whether it's a small challenge, it's okay. It doesn't need to be the biggest challenge in the world. Well, that sounds like they've got the, uh, the right guy at the helm, uh, Nick, to take them through to that journey in the next five years and, and uh, continue to evolve um, as such a rich history. And, mate, uh, I, you know, from my point of view, it's been great to catch up today. I appreciate your time. I know you've had a very busy schedule. Um, but uh, great to see the passion in the eyes about the, you know, doing things outside as well. I think that's critical to any successful executive. Uh, there's time to give back as well into community and to service, uh, which which I do quite regularly with uh, with White Lion, who I'll give a plug quickly to. Um, at risk youths that we um, that we we save kids uh, between 12 and t- uh, 21 years of age uh, off the streets out of gutters and corners, but. Um, Outside of that, mate, I appreciate your time. Mark, uh, anything, uh, any questions, anything to close off uh, for, for Nick today? No, for me, that was fantastic, and it's, it's great to see a successful career just unfold. Mate, thank you very much for your time, and uh, we'll look forward to maybe catching up with you uh, in, in a year or two and seeing how that's all coming together. No problems. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity and look forward to hearing to, uh, about the other speakers as well. Fantastic. Thanks very much. And that's, uh, that's it for today. We'll look forward to bringing to you uh, our Superior Sales uh, podcast next week. And until then, uh, thank you. Well, uh, everyone, that was uh, an amazing to hear from Nick. Uh, um, I definitely got a lot out of that, which was, which was great. Um, and Mark, uh, what, what, what were the key takeouts for you today, mate? I think there were three things that really stood out for me. One, he's someone who's always discovery-driven. And I think that's important for a leader that... You know, the message that he was giving us that you just can't stay stagnant in your career. And you can clearly see that with his career progression uh, from being national account manager all the way through to be a sales director and then on to a CEO. I think there was a real humbleness that sort of came through that, you know, Nick has a willingness to acknowledge that we're always learning. And, you know, some of the things that we were doing at 25 may not have been the best when you look back and reflect, uh, but it is what has made him the leader that he is. And I think that a really important point to make is that, he, you know, he's, he's constantly battled entitlement. And, you know, you saw that when he was at Fruitcore and even now at Stuart Alexander's. That, you know, he didn't necessarily have the resources that some of his competitors had, but he was really willing to just have, a, get a little bit of momentum, you know, a little change at a time. You know, what about yourself? Mate, I, uh, I really felt the, uh, the career takes time is a really important one. Uh, you know, unfortunately, everyone in, in today's society wants things to happen overnight. And, uh, you know, careers don't just happen overnight. They take a lot of time. They take a lot of, a lot of patience. And, um, you know, that's uh, one of the things that Nick's advice, if he was looking back uh, to himself at a younger age. Um, I also looked at the mentors was an interesting one. Um, you know, I, I, I mean... No mentors don't just they don't come out of a box. They do. Are, they are people that come across, and they're not just work related. They can be certainly within the sporting uh, teachers, uh, high school, um, you know, 
family members, people that you look up to and that people that, you know, um, that you do make a difference and, and you are able to learn from and, and certainly, you know, get your, uh, craft your own um, skills from, from them. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, there were a number he didn't mention uh, anyone specifically. Uh, he wanted to keep that. Uh, obviously, didn't want to, ups, you know, obviously upset others. But no, that was very nice, and I think, you know, definitely uh, pumped up about hearing, uh, you know, about it. You know, his outside uh, endeavours, and um, you know, as a family man, and um, you know, that was something that really, um, really resonated. He he he's just spent that last week in um, on the beach, and uh, yeah, so definitely. Um, you know, family and work works not everything is is the key that came out of that so um yeah so with that uh, i'd like to thank uh, mr nick Nan. um thank you very much for his time and um yeah well we couldn't have done it without the production expertise of young gun blake labina yes many thanks to uh, our creative partner uh aunt may from ant designs uh, sydney's leading uh digital agency and next, we'll be hearing from uh, one of our Australian leading uh, entrepreneurs and, and industry gurus next week. So I look forward to uh, ha- having everyone on board next week. Certainly looking forward to that. Until next week.